number three up first up here on this snowy, icy Thursday morning in southern Ontario. Korolnik and Kuliakovo with you today. We've got James Dothy coming up in about 12 minutes. J.D., always fantastic. Was texting with J.D. last night about some television shows that we were watching. He watches everything. It's very impressive. This guy How always does he seems, find the time? And I don't under I don't get it either. Like he's always doing something. I see he's like doing random podcasts from people who tweet him. And of course he's working a ton. He's traveling everywhere. He's got three kids. I don't understand how, how James Duthy does it. But we're gonna find out in about twelve minutes. And we'll also talk to Dave Festrek from the Toronto Star about the return of the Raptors. And we heard Nick Nurse on Overdrive last night talking about You know, kind of the weird situation that the Raptors found themselves in where everybody, everybody assumed, oh, yeah, they're going to trade Ananobi. Oh, they're going to trade Trent or and Van Vliet. And they ultimately brought in Jakob Pertl. They they were buyers. They were were absolutely (laughs) buyers. And, you know, before the All-Star break, you saw, like, Pascal Siakam wearing down a little bit, wasn't playing at his best, and it looked like Siakam was in Turks and Caicos over the All-Star break. So, uh, speaking of Duthy, perhaps James lent Pascal his villa. Maybe. That's that's a possibility. I don't know if Siakam can afford the James Duthy villa, but uh, it's probably pretty close. And actually, I'm saying Siakam, but I think I may be saying his name wrong, Coco, because on CNN yesterday, they were talking about the rise of basketball in Africa, and the CNN anchor had a different name for Pascal Siakam. We've also got Greek-Nigerian superstar Giannis Atacompu. He's on the far right in this picture here. He's not the only all-star with ties to Africa. The Raptors, Pascal Shaquim and also Joel Embiid. Mm, that was the top Shaquim. one right there. She butchered all three names. Yeah. Giannis and Embiid and Siakam, a.k.a. Shaquim. See, I put that one on the producer of the CNN broadcast. you got to yeah. spell it out phonetically. Exactly. Like, what are you doing? Like, wake up, people. Cheese would never do that to us. Cheese would have it all spelled out. You know, any names. Like, I guess, yes, he did work up with Cause on gameplay. I don't know if he had that with, uh, with Matthew. But the <laughs> CNN anchor really let down, was let down by the producer with yeah. Shaquem. Pascal and Shaquem. Pascal. Yeah, but, like, okay, like, you see S-I-A-K-A-M. Like, even, like, Cam doesn't say... Siakam, yeah, I don't know. You know, like Shaquem, unless unless she was reading a teleprompter and somebody, Ron Berg, indeed her. Pascal, also possible. Yeah, (laughs) it is a possibility. But I like I like the fact that uh, Pascal went on Twitter and poked a little fun at it. Like it happens, it happens in this injury. I've heard my name be butchered a million times, and you know what? I don't. I don't get upset at anybody. I don't hold grudges. I I poke fun at it because it's. It's it's not an easy name to say. I always say my name when you're first seeing my name. It's one of those names that is easier to say when you first hear it than when you first try to read it yourself. I've said that to everybody because if you tried to read my name myself, you'd butcher it like no tomorrow. There's so many yeah. vowels. But if there's you hear it, Koliakovo. It's like people say, oh, that sounds easier. Oh, Koliakovo. Okay, cool. <laughs> right? So I, I, I wouldn't think Siakam would be that hard of a name to say but god bless her god what bless her. was the most common mispronunciation of koliakovo during your play up playing career like koliakovo 
Well, Something the like weirdest that. part was when people would say it with an A at the end, Kolyakova or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like you're a Russian tennis player. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, there's an O at the end. But the one of the weirdest ones I heard was when minor hockey, and this is always something that I paid attention because I, I, I lit up minor hockey. I was a really good minor hockey player. I was a defenseman that scored a lot of points and was one of the best players in all the teams that I played on. And so when we go to these tournaments – you know, and you'd, you'd hit the score sheet and, you know, you go back, you're on the ice, you're on the bench, and you hear the, the PA announcer announce the goal. And goal scored by York Toros player, Carlo. And what, God bless, and I don't know if, if whoever was responsible for the game sheet spelt it wrong. They announced my name with a D. It was like Doliakavolo. <laughs> I was I like, like that. D? Where do you even get a D from? But it's like, you know, again, I guess whoever wrote it probably maybe had some chicken scratch or whoever, however you read it. Because if you're a timekeeper, if you're a timekeeper, you're just getting you're just getting a sheet like looks like a doctor's note most nights, right? Back in the day, I mean, now it's more clear because they actually have to keep stats of young players that play in minor hockey. But I've been I've heard it butchered so many times. I just I, I laugh at it now. I don't really take offense to it. It's just it is what it is, and you just try to make everybody feel good about it. I think that's the only thing. You can't take it personally. I don't think Pascal no. Shakim is taking it personally, no. nor should you. Pascal, Pascal Siakam. Then again, I do get insulted when people call me Paulo. Like, well, that's that's, that's, that's a compliment. Insulting. What are you talking yes. about? Your twin brother <laughs> is the man, and I'm thrilled if someone called me. He is the Paulo Koliakovo. Uh, we'll see Pascal Siakam back in action tonight at Scotiabank Arena. The Raps hosting the New Orleans Pelicans, a team that has just been just falling off the map. Such a great start to the season. The Raptors are five-and-a-half-point favorites. They've got OG Ananobi back. He missed a bunch of games before the deadline with the wrist injury. Thad Young is back. Of course, Jakob Pertle is starting. You imagine Gary Trent probably comes off the bench tonight. This is the first time we've seen the new-look Raptors fully formed, right? And Gary yeah. Trent coming off the bench, I'm like, it's great. They've got Achua and Trent coming off the bench. I think how many times we talked about how they had no depth at all. Now they've got two starting NBA players, Coco, in Trent and Achua coming off the bench, and that's yeah. a luxury that not a lot of teams have. I'm tempted. Well, the to Raptors be haven't in. had it. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I'm tempted to be drawn in by the Raptors. I kind of believe that they'll have a strong 23 games here, but at the same time, their schedule is very, very challenging. And when you talk about the 13 games that will come on the road of the 23, eight of those games are against the league's top five teams, and they play Boston and Milwaukee. Yeah, three games and four nights coming up here, too. I mean, it's a tough schedule. So even though they have Pirtle, even though they are healthy, this is the toughest stretch they're going to have as far as opponents. So if you think they're just going to go off on this run, I think it's probably more around a 500 finish is what you can expect. Well, what I'm curious to watch with this Raptors team is how big of an impact finally having a center like Pirtle can have on this group because for three years, even going back into the bubble year, all we've talked about is how much this team is missing Marcus All, Serge Ibaka, a guy that can play the center position. And why I'm curious to watch it so much is I think Pirtle has established himself as one of the better big men in the game. And how much does having him consistently in this lineup 
impact how much better Siakam and OG and Obi can be playing alongside him? And does that make the depth of this team that much better too? Because you're not asking guys like Coloco or Achua or Boucher or uh, oh, they actually got rid of um, Ken Birch. Yeah, Ken, Ken Birch. They, he's gone now, isn't he? Didn't yeah, they trade him for Pirtle? He, he's out. Yeah, he's in right. San Antonio now. So, I mean, now you have a guy that can be, you know, a consistent mogul in that offense. It's I, I'm curious to see how this all plays out now. Now that they finally got the piece that they've been looking for. Yeah, I mean, we've seen with Pirtle in the lineup, in the starting lineup, anyways, the defense on this team has improved dramatically. It's a small sample size. They played some bad teams, but we'll see how it shakes out tonight against New Orleans. We'll talk more about that with Dave Festruck from the Toronto Star and his thoughts on the Toronto Maple Leafs, how they will proceed ahead of the trade deadline. Eight days away. Man, March is right around the corner. <laughs> wow, we're less than a week away from March. You know mm-hmm. what happens in March? It's just one month until April. You know what happens in April. The oh, Masters. buddy. Oh, the Masters. <laughs> How about golf and, open? And golf. golf. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll start with the Masters and then golf in Ontario. James Duthie on the other side again. Dave Festchuk in about 30 minutes. And Braden Shin of the St. Louis Blues former teammate of Ryan O'Reilly. He's up in, I guess that's about 9.30, so just over an hour's time. Oh, big show continues here on First Up after this. We are giving away a pair of Raptors tickets. Listen to each hour of the First Up podcast for a clue to the identity of a former or current Raptors player. Once you have all the clues and you know the identity of the player, you'll have until the end of the day to enter at tsn1050.ca for your chance to win the tickets. Here is your clue. The third clue in the Reveal That Raptor contest. This mystery Toronto Raptor has a brother that also played in the NBA. Yeah. Aaron Karolnik, Carlo Koliakovo here on First Up. The song is Trophy, something that James Dutty has closet full. Closets full of? Closets, Closets full, full of, of yes. Closets full of, there we go. Yes. He's got eight Canadian Screen Awards and was nominated once again yesterday for his tremendous work appearing here on First Stop. Is what does he right, do to James? get nominated for these awards, Jay? What do you do for Dom- to get nominated for Dominates broadcasting. James. That's what it is. Can you elaborate on that, James? Yeah, it was for, they, they only submit one show. So I think it was the <laughs> December 7th segment on First Up where uh, we talked about golf the whole time and we made like four <laughs> dumb jokes. How did we not get nominated? Then? I don't know, what that's the hell? The joke of the whole thing, but I'll have you guys up there with me. <laughs> I, I think that's. I don't know if you've watched uh, yeah. Full Swing yet, the golf series on Netflix. But you know, have you watched the Brooks Kepka yeah. episode? Yeah, absolutely. I'm getting my hair yeah. dyed like him this weekend. That's what I, I have the trophy cabinet like that, where uh, you know there's room for like 25, and I'm leaving all the big ones empty. But I don't, I don't know that they're going to happen. <laughs> that was the saddest thing I've ever seen, by the way, for your listeners who didn't watch. Kepka built like this massive trophy cabinet, and of course he wins four majors and has them at the bottom, but left like twelve spaces, and now they're just wow. sitting there empty. Well, Liv <laughs> gives out a big couple trophies when they when they win those tournaments, suppose, don't they? But is he going to put yeah. that in the big space above his two U.S. <laughs> Open trophies? 
I was so conflicted watching that episode of Full Swing because, like, I was a huge Kepka fan maybe five, six years ago. It was hard not to be. The guy was winning every week, was the number one player in the world, was winning and competing at the biggest tournament. Seemingly, that was the only thing he cared about. He was a big game player. And then he gets hurt, and he has no confidence. It's it's really was just shocking to see him talk about it and and be so honest and upfront about his mental struggles. The guy can't make a putt, and then he goes to live. And well, I guess we'll see him at Augusta, and I guess we'll see him in the live events if anyone's watching those. But for me, James, the full swing episode that I resonated with most was Kepka because even for the casual golfer. Like, we've all gone through this where you just, like, suck at golf. You're like, I hate this. I don't even want to play anymore. I guess a little bit different of a scale for Kepka, and it was just on full display in that episode. I agree 100%. I mean, the Joel Damon episode is pretty darn good because he's, I think he's, <laughs> he's more hilarious to, to yeah. us. But, but I came out actually kind of respecting Kepka more. And I was the same. When he first burst onto the scene, I loved the guy because he just, you know, just had those killer eyes and didn't get rattled by anything or anyone. But I think to show, look, anyone who hasn't watched this series, look, golfers are pretty bland, and there's a lot of blandness in that. Like the Scotty Scheffler, who they contrast with Kepka in the episode, good guy, great golfer, couldn't be more bland and boring. And I appreciated Kepka being that open about completely losing it. And it was funny because at the beginning he was like, I'm going to get it back, I'm going to get it back, I'm going to win, and I think by the end when he went to live, he's just like, I don't think I'll ever get it back, so I might as well take the money and you right. know maybe take my take my shots in majors. But it was a fascinating character study, as you said, to watch a guy who was, you know, I think probably for that little two-year span, the greatest closer since Tiger, and it looked like he might yep. be like that. And then to just be completely off. off the radar is the wonderful thing about golf, I think, for all of us. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on this because there's some hockey stuff I want to get into with you. But while we're on the Kepka, there's speculation that he's having buyer's remorse and wanting to come back to the PGA. How much do you believe that? And do you think there's a chance we see it happen? I would believe that simply because of that episode. I mean, I don't pretend to know any of these guys and what they're truly feeling. But when you watch what he said in that episode, uh, I think it makes some sense. And when you watch him on Live. He, he looks like he just has absolutely no desire to be there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And when, where, when guys are cut from that mold where it's only about the big tournaments, you know, whatever he got, $100 million or whatever the paycheck was, sounds great. But, you know, you're about three tournaments in and realize you're essentially playing, you know, the equivalent of pro-ams every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think that would get old really, really fast. It's going to be so fascinating, J.D., and let's probably not this year. Let's call it, you know, maybe nine months from now when the live season is over and, you know, the guy, it's not going to pick up any traction. The PGA Tour season has started off so remarkably well, all the compelling storylines, and I think this Netflix doc has really helped it as well. Like, live is not going to be relevant. This is going to be the two years. They're all going to have got their money from live. And you wonder, guys, like maybe not Dustin Johnson, because he seems to really not care at all. But you have the Kepkas, the Cam Smiths. They might come crawling back like, hey, what do you think about me returning? I think the PGA Tour would be like, absolutely, welcome back. Take that, Liv. You gave him 100 mil for nothing, and we get him back for free. I think that could be very well how it plays out. How do you see it? I, I think that if it, if it died um, or was you know dying a slow death and that started to happen, the PGA Tour would have no choice because that would be the sign of victory. And Jay Monaghan might not feel that way, the PGA Tour commissioner right now. I, I, 
he's trying to say, oh, you're done for good. Um, but I don't know. How, how could you do that? How could you? And, and the one thing we've said this all along, uh, the, despite what you say, the PJ Tour is way better. I don't think anybody's going to care about Liv. But what the PJ Tour is missing is villains. The PJ mm-hmm. Tour has become very vanilla because it's all these kind of likable guys who are boring. Patrick Cantley. Well, if Darren you're a, if you're a villain, you're, if you're a villain, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods will turn on you. <laughs> no, but you know, it, look at. Well, I don't like Patrick Reed, but tournaments are infinitely more interesting when Patrick yeah. Reed is dueling with somebody like Rory down the stretch. And you know, Kepka kind of was. Uh, I don't know that he was a villain, but he was an interesting character that way. Phil and later I, I in his career think, too. Yeah. I mean, I think Cam Smith is and DJ are probably the only two players they really miss because they're still near the top of the world. But you, you miss some of those guys, even even Poulter, who was kind of at the end of his career. But what Liv does have is some guys that mix it up a little bit, and I think the PGA Tour misses that. So I'm with, I'm with you, AK. I, uh, I, I think when it ends, if it ends, I, I, don't, I think it'll probably be a slow, drawn-out death. But um, I'd like to see some of those guys back. Uh, based on my intel, I don't see this live tour folding anytime soon. They're committed to this. They've got a boatload of money to make sure it, it <laughs> they, does continue. They have a boatload of money, uh, Carlo, but you know, just, everyone talks about Saudis like, okay, there's just infinite money. They'll do it forever. They're still businessmen. And yeah. I, I don't think it's folding this year or anything, but let's say in three or four years, if they still haven't got any traction, at some point they're just going to say, this isn't worth our yeah. while anymore. So We'll see. We'll see. Uh, James, let's uh, transition to hockey here. Um, every time a big trade happens, the, I think the first face people see is yours because, you know, you want trades to get closer to the trade deadline because you're the host of Trade Center on TSN. But the Maple Leafs made a big trade, and you guys had the broadcast the other night when Ryan O'Reilly showed the whole world what he's capable of doing as a member of the Maple Leafs, scoring a hat trick. Uh, share us your thoughts and feelings on what you've uh, – uh, shared so far and, and what you've seen with Ryan O'Reilly and, and the trades that have gone down. Well, that, that was a fun game the other night, and I joke around on Twitter about how I'm terrified and uh, curled up in the corner in the fetal position every time there's a deal, <laughs> but uh, I'm more joking with people than anyone else. I would love them to say, like, I would love Patrick Kane say, to come down to deadline day. I don't think it will. I'm not even sure it'll come down to deadline week, but you just need, or Eric Carlson, you just need the tantalizing possibility of something happening, I think, to make it really intriguing. Uh, with with O'Reilly, that game the other night, I mean, I'm not the first to say this. You guys probably talk about it every day. But if I'm the Leafs and, let's say, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, I'm all in. Both those teams have no reason not to be completely all in. On the Oilers' side, the West is completely wide open. And you have, whatever, two more years and McDavid and 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 dry settle potentially together you, you have to do like you just have to do something now this is your this is pro- it's kind of equivalent of the canadian division that year in covid when it was wide open for the leafs i think it's open for the oilers colorado will probably be good now i mean there's going to be good teams out there but you're never going to get a better chance than now and i feel look at toronto's different because you're in this division and you're facing two formidable opponents but i think again same sort of deal with matthews and marner and I, I don't know why you don't take full swings uh, across the board here for Toronto. The first one looks like it's going to pay off great, but one more fantastic piece up front and a depth defenseman I think would be, you know, Dregs, Dregs intrigues me because he's on insider trading the other night. And he says, what if, 
You know, what if Patrick Kane says <laughs> Toronto is the, the only yeah. team he wants to play for? And uh, But he's I'm, right. He's I know, right. I, but I always kind of raise my eyebrows when the insiders say something like that because I feel like there's always something behind the hypothetical, and maybe it's dreaming. He has no, certainly, information that Kane's going to say that, per se, but if he did... Don't you move mountains to make it happen? Absolutely you do. Any team that he chooses, you find a way to make it happen. And any team that he chooses, we talked about this with Johnny before you came on, you might actually get him at a bargain because you have no nobody that you're 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 sort of uh you know competing with uh, competing with. Yeah, that's a fascinating dilemma, I think, for GMs of the teams that have these players, right? Because they really you have an at like Chicago's trying to rebuild and you have an asset like Patrick Kane. That, uh, you know, right now he's just on this complete tear, which is absolutely perfect for them. But when you're in a position, if you owe the guy after three Stanley Cups and everything he's done to pick his team if he wants, and it's costing you, as you say, you know, probably if, look, at you're still going to get something decent back for him or you won't trade him, but it, it chain, the open market would certainly do a lot better than, hey, I want to go to team A and you're going to have to make a deal with them. That's, uh, that's the best world possible for whatever that team would be, the New York Rangers or Dallas Stars or maybe Toronto Maple Leafs. James Duffy, our guest here on First Up. And it's funny with Kane and, and more so for the Blackhawks. I mean, they want they must want to get rid of him now. I mean, this guy is, is racking up points every night, sniping left and right, and he's putting their Connor Bedard hopes in a precarious spot, James. I mean, now it should be Chicago. Be like, all right, hey, Patrick. Uh, yeah, we need an answer today. Can you please <laughs> stop? Like, And Max Domi's the same. I wonder if there could be a Domi. By the way, what is going on right now? Uh, He's playing catch with Hugo. His uh, dog. Is, both both is there... dogs are playing with squeaky balls. Okay. Sorry, I've oh, okay. <laughs> I grabbed the ball. Like, if you guys could have a live webcam on me during these, I'm like, it was literally crawling under the table during AK's little uh, uh, sonnet there. <laughs> to get a ball, yeah. But I mean, Kane and Domi package deal. That could be something that would be intriguing to another team. The way that that duo is performing right now. Well, you know, you you guys laugh, but it is true what you're saying about. Uh, you know, tanking is the most is is a hilarious thing because obviously players don't do it and players want to win and most and coaches want to win, but the GMs really don't in these teams. They want to put out a good effort every night and see development from their players. And then the perfect thing is to you know to lose five four on a late goal or something like that after you after you give a, a good effort against a team. I I don't know if I told you guys this when I was at the World Juniors. I was, I was, uh, sounds like I'm, I was in the gym, but I was in the gym and, uh, an executive with the team was, was working out. And I said, uh, one of the teams in the bottom 10. And I said, you guys are winning too much jokingly. And he answered dead serious. Now, nah, yeah, you're right. We'll take care of that though. Uh, you know, I don't know if we can catch the basement, but I'm pretty sure we can get top three. Uh, and <laughs> he answered the question like he was in a race for last place and that they were focused on getting there and would make whatever moves to do it. So, And I, I don't blame any any of them. What What's the point of finishing eighth to last when you can finish second to last and have whatever percentage chance better with a player like that? And speaking of which, you know, as I, I don't know if I teased it. Did I tease it last week on your show? The, uh, the little bit, the, you know, the old the band might be getting back together yeah. for Trade Center. It's been a few years since Puck Over Glass. It's been a few years since Don't Take My Goal Away. Um, I was looking for songwriter motivation, and there may have been something in what we just discussed that that uh, has brought the band back together. We'll see. Really, 
That's yeah. a nice tea. So you got something special planned for for trade center? Uh, yeah, like I said, I don't. You know, I don't like to overpromise or anything like that. Um, I just rather embarrass myself on the day of the show. Well, I mean, you know, you have enough Canadian Screen Awards. You need a Juno Award as well, right, JD? It's time for your yeah. singing and your songwriting <laughs> to really take center stage. And you know, wouldn't it be something if the birthday boy, uh, the soon to be forty, you know, was able to make some sort of cameo in there? I'm, hey, I don't. I, you have my number. Just tell me where where to be and what time just to be talk, there. Talking about the possibilities. <laughs> well, speaking of birthday boy, it is the O Dog's birthday today. What? Yes, <laughs> yes. Breaking it's, news. So, my, my question to you, everybody. I, I don't know day. if he's fifty. I think he's what? I think he's forty-seven. Forty-seven. He's forty-seven. I was trying to push it. So, out. yeah. You guys have the game tomorrow on TSN. Darren, would you be planning a special birthday celebration for the O-Dog on well, the broadcast? Not, Maybe a pie in the like face the entire, or something like that I from a surprise like somebody? I pregame show should be dedicated to that. And I think what it should be is, you know, one of those things like the, you know, the Ellen Show or Oprah with the giveaways where we should get him all the things that have been stolen from him. <laughs> Like one segment, you get him you the get gold, him medal. gold medal back that he lost at the World Juniors, and then his truck, his golf clubs, just one That's, by one, somebody brings these things out. I think that, that would be, be amazing. That would be right? amazing if he did something right. like that. Yeah, or a pie in the face. I, not, no, pie I, I think that would go good. over really well. A new car. It's like the Price is Right. A truck comes out, and he's like, he would walk. Car he would walk right off the set and be like, "You're such an idiot, JD." I mean, James, you, you, you sounds like a quiz question. If we offered a one of the following three things, <laughs> the truck, he gets his truck back, uh, he gets his golf clubs back, or he gets his World Junior gold medal back. Didn't he lose his laptop in that, too? Didn't he lose his laptop in that gold medal bag, too? Uh, he lost the laptop and the, <laughs> and the gold medal, but I'm not sure he's too worried about the laptop. Yeah. Except maybe it's contents getting in the wrong hands. Right. Yeah, well, that that's what I'd be most worried about. Like if, I, if someone took my phone, for instance, or my laptop, I'd be freaking out. Not because of the monetary value, just, because of the contents. History. Yeah, I mean, it's like text to James Duthie. Sorry, what did James Duthie write? You should be worried too, J.D. <laughs> you should be very worried as well. Don't worry. My phone is staying very close to the vest at all times. Thank you for doing this. Uh, congratulations again, and we're looking forward to your your first Juno Award following Trade Center next Friday. Thank you, boys. I appreciate it. All right, James. We'll be in touch, buddy. Okay, James Duthie um, from TSN. So you're part of this whole song, and not nothing for me. Like I, and I can't be part of it. What's going I, I on? I cannot here? confirm or deny there was okay. um, a mention of it the other night. When I was in at the TSN studios and I stopped okay. by the Studio 6 to see the boys doing the lease panel, he told me what he was up to. He said he might have a part for me. It would just depend on the availability of me being in the same place as him. So I will follow up with him after the show and see if there's still a spot for me. Well, I, well, I can either confirm or deny that. Is there a voice for that, for by you. the way? It sounds like our man Tim Haffey. Remember Tim Haffey, our update anchor here at TSN Radio? I always thought that may be him. That, but... Isn't that Fergie? No, that's not actually Fergie. I think they oh. just did some kind of voice for that. But, I mean, that is interesting. And, you know, if James does want me to be part of this video, I'm going to have to consult my agent, Pat Morris, obviously, and make sure he's cool with it because, you know, I would never do anything without Pat's consent. And I'm hoping 20 Fingers has that great Pat Morris drop. 
Pat Morris, always got your back, pal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got Dave Festruck from the Toronto Star in about 12 minutes. We'll talk about the Raps and their return to action tonight and his thoughts about what the Leafs could do ahead of the deadline. More first up after this. So we've got all these new football leagues that have sprung up in the last couple of weeks. The XFL debuted, the USFL debuts in April, and the New Orleans team in the USFL has stolen our quarterback, Coco. I saw that. Our quarterback, the Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, is going to the USFL. And there is a... I don't know what word I would use to describe, but there's a thought process that this is an indictment on the Canadian Football League, and this is something that is going to become a trend. And let me just tell you, I saw a couple of people who actually are quite smart and knowledgeable about stuff, not so smart and knowledgeable about this situation with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. This has nothing to do with the CFL. This has nothing to do with financials because he's going to be making like four or five times as much in the CFL than he will in the USFL. This has everything to do with family. McLeod Bethel-Thompson's wife apparently makes a ton of money. Um, financial concerns do not exist in that family. He's going to play in New Orleans in the USFL because it's close to home and he could spend more time with his family. And that's basically it. His salary in the CFL would have been, I think, more than four hundred thousand. His salary in the USFL is like seventy-five grand. Is that all? Like, USFL players? They, they're not making anything. They're not making anything relative to the Canadian league. So, what, what is what would like an XFL salary be? Would it be the same? A little as bit the higher. USFL? A little oh, bit okay. higher. It also depends on your position. Obviously, if you're the quarterback, you're making more yeah. money than the backup defensive lineman. But for a guy like Bethel Thompson, uh, it really sucks for the Argos. I mean. We'll be honest here. I mean, that's a huge loss for them. Um, Bethel Thompson's been great for that team for a long time, and you're looking at potentially Dane Evans coming over from Hamilton. Who? Ooh. Well, Chad Kelly. And Chad Kelly, I mean, very limited experience. Chad mm-hmm. Kelly was great in the Grey Cup when he was called into action, but it's not like he has this lengthy resume of Canadian Football League success. So uh, that's so the- an unfortunate story. XFL salary is an average sixty thousand yeah. dollars, according to our producer. Jeez, cheese yeah, um, knows, knows. Yeah, so that's that was some tough news yesterday for sure for the CFL, and obviously you wish nothing but the best for McLeod Bethel Thompson. Um, anytime a player makes a decision like this, you should probably wait to comment on it before actually hearing the reason behind it. And if the reason is to be closer to family, you got nothing but respect for the guy. In doing so, yeah, he also was he also was talking about trying like to make it in the NFL. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> come on, bro. Let's be yeah. honest here. We love you, oh, but okay. not that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's come on. Yes. Come on. I just um, don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Al's brother doesn't see it happening. McLeod Bethel Thompson will be the starting quarterback <laughs> of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next season. We've got yes. Dave Festruck from the Toronto Star. We'll get into the Raptors. We'll get into the Leafs with Dave next. Hour number three of First Up continues here on TSN 1050. Aaron Karolnik, Carlo Koliakovo, and we've got our guy, Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star on the line. He's not there. Okay, we'll get him in just a second. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with Dave because he's been covering the Raps very closely leading up to the deadline, the decisions made by the Raptors to ultimately become buyers as opposed to sellers it's been a very curious couple weeks for the toronto raptors and they're emerging from the all-star break with renewed optimism 
the health is there. Jakob Pertl is there. Maybe wins could be coming as well. Dave Festchuk, are you in agreement with that idea that maybe there is a little bit of an optimistic tone being shed by the Toronto Raptors heading into tonight's game against New Orleans? Well, we'll see, guys. I mean, like I thought yesterday's media availability after their practice was kind of interesting. Like to hear Nick Nurse say the words, I'm going to play nine or ten guys. Like, is this the same Nick Nurse who's been running his starters into the ground, who has three guys in the top five or top eight of minutes played, who ran Fred VanVleet literally to ruin last season in the first-round playoff series against the Sixers? Like, if he's serious about that, and you got to believe maybe Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster put those words into his mouth because it's not Nick Nurse's nature. If he's serious about that, then maybe I am a little bit optimistic because I think that's been one of the big problems with this team, that they want to play a style of defense that's just not sustainable with a seven-man rotation. And now with Jakob Pertl in the fold, Gary Trent presumably moves to the bench alongside Precious Achua. Maybe you give Chris Boucher some minutes, Malachi Flynn some minutes, and maybe that does make sense. I, I do wonder, though, considering the schedule that they are tasked with here in their final 23 games, very difficult, amongst the most difficult in the NBA, maybe this optimism is almost unfounded. They had their easy stretch here. They played Houston and San Antonio and all those terrible teams before the All-Star break. Now the big boys are ahead, and I do question how much of a difference Jakob Pertl can really make. Yeah, look, I've made my opinion clear on this. I, I don't understand what they're doing. I really don't. I think giving up a first-round pick for Jakob Pertl makes no sense to me. Getting better now makes no sense to me. You have the fifth most difficult schedule in the NBA from here on out. The, the, you know, the, the kind of con conglomeration of the win percentages of your opponents is 520, which is awfully high. I mean, you got Boston twice. you got Milwaukee twice. you got Denver twice. So, look, what they're doing here to me, makes no sense. I'd rather have the lottery balls in a really high-end draft. But if they're doing what they're doing and they're doing it, here's what they're trying to do. Th this is about Scotty Barnes, first and foremost. This is You heard it yesterday, Nick Nurse talking about Scotty Barnes has got to be more assertive. Scotty Barnes has got to be more aggressive. They, they want Scotty Barnes to develop into the man because the only way this makes sense, the only way you're sticking with this team and trying to build on this team is if you believe Scotty Barnes can become a next-level guy, can become the man. And so I think they're going to – what they're going to do in these final 23 games and in the playoffs, play in, whatever they end up, you know, kind of achieving, is they're going to make Scotty Barnes a big focus of this team, obviously, along with Pascal Shaquem. Pascal Shaquem. Well done. Nice. Well done. <laughs> well uh, Dave, I, I want to get into big picture here with the, with the Raptors because clearly – I was disappointed at their approach at the deadline. This is a team that had some highly coveted players that other teams in the NBA wanted. They decided to become buyers instead of sellers. But what this really highlights is the job that Masai Ujiri has done. How would you evaluate the job that Masai Ujiri has done, considering he got that big contract because he was the guy this organization wanted to lead in, the, in a certain direction, but... That direction has sort of taken so many turns right now. They're kind of stuck in a standstill position with a lot of question marks going into next season, too, with, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, and Pirtle's contract up for grabs. How would you evaluate the job that Masai Ujiri has done so far based on the job we all expected him to do? 
You know, he, he reminds me of a lot, a lot of my writer friends. In the writing business, we got a lot of procrastinators. We put off everything until, you know, the deadline is looming and the deadline is bearing down on us. <laughs> and he's procrastinated, to your point, Carlo. He's just put off all the big decisions. He's kicked the can down the road. When maybe we all thought, hey, if you're gonna, if you're not gonna resign Fred, if you're not gonna resign Gary Trent, you gotta get something from them because we've seen what happens to this franchise when you lose players like Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka, and on down the line Kawhi Leonard for nothing. Uh, I don't quite get why he's procrastinated in this way again. I, I, I didn't understand the deadline approach. I thought it was, you know, in a lot of ways, it was just essentially putting the pressure on yourself in the off season. So there is that. But look. In the here and now, if you're a Raptors fan, at least you have this. At least you have a stretch run you can get excited about. I think they will climb the standings a little bit. I think there's enough bad teams around them, like Washington's ahead of them. They should be able to leapfrog Washington. So I, if, if you're excited about you know, a low playoff seed and a first-round playoff series <laughs> against an opponent that's likely going to be a lot better than you, sure. <laughs> and let's face it, this is, a, this is a weird time in the NBA. There are no great teams there are good teams. I think someone was saying this is the first time in more than 20 years that nobody's on pace to win 60 games. Celtics are on pace to win 58, and that would be the top right now if that holds. So it is a weird year, and, and maybe anything can happen in the NBA. And maybe if you're very, very optimistic, which I am not about this group, mm-hmm. maybe you believe they could move into the second round. He is Dave Feschuk from the Toronto Star. The Raptors, not the only Toronto team buying ahead of the deadline. We saw the Maple Leafs make their move for Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari. But I think there's a lot of people, myself included, Dave, that are looking at the next move for the Leafs. Because clearly they're going to make a subsequent transaction considering all the retention on the O'Reilly contract. What do you think that move is? Is it a a top four defenseman? And if so, how, how do they make it happen and who is it? Look, I mean, I was listening to your earlier segment with uh, MJ, and I thought his answer to the question, who is the shutdown pair, was telling. Because even Mike Johnson, who, who knows as much about this league as anybody and knows as much about the Leafs as anybody, was hemming and hawing, going, I don't know. Like, is it, <laughs> it right now? It's right now, I guess. If they're going Riley Brody is the top pair, they're no shutdown pair. Uh, it's it's Mark Giordano and Timothy Lilligren is your shutdown no. pair in the playoffs. I mean, Kucherov is like doing that. sweet. <laughs> That's crazy. I'd rather have Carlo Koliakovo at a wow. retirement. I appreciate that, man. Come on, Dave. That, Let's not go crazy here. Relax. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> so I, it's obvious to me. I mean, you got to get, you got to get a muzzin. Like you've just you've just got to replace muzzin. I said it the day the day that they shut down muzzin this season. And I'll say it to this moment, you, you've not replaced that guy. You need to replace that guy. There's a reason you got that guy. And whether it's Dmitry Orlov or whether it's Gabrikov, or, I, I don't know exactly. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into that. But they've got to try and get a reasonable facsimile of a Jake Muzzin. So I'm not trying to rain on the Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari trades, because I think both those moves were really shrewd maneuvering by Kyle Dubas. But I do wonder if they don't have the assets now because of all the moves that they made, all the, all the draft capital they parted with to bring in O'Reilly and Achari, if they don't have any of the capital to go out and get that top four defenseman, was that the proper allocation of your assets to prioritize what you really need? I mean, the Leafs up front are really good without Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari. Are they as good? Of course not. But if you don't have a, a, a pair that can go up against Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and Brandon Hagel, the top line for Tampa, did you make the right decision? And I'm not saying that they didn't because they've got eight days here to figure it out. But if they aren't able to bring in an impact defenseman who can play a shutdown role, it's more questionable decision-making, I would say. 
Oh, without a doubt. If that if that turns out to be the case, if they go into this deadline and come out of this deadline without the shutdown defenseman that they need, and it's because they didn't have the assets, that's a big problem, AK, no doubt about it. But look, I mean, they still have assets. They still got yeah, they got tons of they assets. They got a 2024 man. first round pick. They got a 2025 first round pick. They got Matthew Nyes. I mean, I'm not I'm not sold on Matthew Nyes. The guy's you know his skating isn't exactly <laughs> come on. Know, he's Gretzky, Dave. Everyone yeah. knows that Matthew Nyes is the next Gretzky. Yeah, I mean, so I <laughs> just look, ask I'd a be, Toronto Maple Leafs fan. If if I'm if I'm Brendan Shanahan, forget Kyle Dubas. If I'm Brendan Shanahan, you think Kyle Dubas is under the gun? Brendan Shanahan's coming up on nine years in this city, running this team, and has got nothing to show for it. You don't think he is a little jittery, even though he has eleven years guaranteed uh, under his contract? Uh, you know, he's got to be jittery. He's got to be freaking out. They're all freaking out. I mean, this is got, they've got to make it happen now, and they've got to make it happen against a very good Tampa team, which we all know, even though they've accumulated all those miles with three straight runs to the finals and two Stanley Cup wins. And even though we all keep saying they've got to slow down eventually, they haven't yet. Uh, so they've, they've got to shore this thing up. I, I still think they've got to get a goalie, too, but maybe they won't have the assets for that. No, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't agree with the goalie part because you just look at the market. I mean, if you go out and get a goalie, are you getting a guy that would give you an upgrade on what you have? And I don't see that out there on the market. So, yeah. well, you know, who knows? I mean, would Craig Anderson intrigue you? No. Well, he's got a he's got a nine twenty nine career save percentage in the playoffs. He's played forty eight playoff mm. games. I'd rather go with that than Samsonov, who's got one career playoff win personally. Yeah. No, hey, look, I, I think you, we we both have our own uh, feeling about it, um, which is fair. Who do you fair. feel good about net, though, is my question. Well, Matt Murray has to be the guy. Clearly, oh, that's why they brought him he's in. He's not going to be the guy. Well, I, you don't. I, look, I, I don't want to sit here and speculate. I know how I feel about Matt Murray. I was never a fan of the move when they made the move to begin with, but... But you'll start I just, a game one of the playoffs? But hold on a second. I just look at the last two seasons, and I could very comfortably say, very confidently say, that goaltending was not the reason why they lost no, those true. last two series. So I wouldn't, I, I'm not necessarily freaking out. I think what we've learned under a Sheldon Keefe system, that you don't need elite goaltending to win. You just need better than average goaltending to win. And I think the Maple Leafs, based on who they've had in net between Wall, Shalgren, Samsonov, and Matt Murray, when he's played out of his best this year, they've been getting better than average yeah. goaltending. And yeah. if you fix the defense, if you fix the defense, it takes a lot of the spotlight off of yes. the goaltending. So, I totally agree. No, we're, we're, we're in alignment on the fact that the defense has to be the number one priority here. Because And look, the other, the other priority to me is you got to get a find a way, Carlo, and you, maybe you got an idea of how to do it. You got to find a way to get Morgan Riley playing better. Because yeah. he has been an absolute basket case out there. Just, you know, you look at maybe it's because when he was out for 15 games with that injury, they became the best defensive team in the league, right? And then yeah. they really were. I think that them and Washington were right up there. I think they had the 32 goals against in 15 games. Um, and then now, in the, what has he been back? 30 games he's been back. I think there's something like middle of the road, 15th or 16th. I didn't look at it yesterday. They're right in the middle of the defensive kind of goals against average teams in this league with, with Morgan Riley out there. And I think he's kind of caught in between. I think he saw the way they were playing super simple when he was out, uh, not taking risks, just being very efficient and moving the puck to the forwards. And that doesn't really jive with his game because he likes to yeah. become a forward an awful lot. And, and yeah. I think he's got to figure out a way to find his – swagger again because right now he doesn't have it yeah sometimes uh you know i i used to say best and used to it used to be said to me best less is more 
Yeah. And with Morgan Riley, I think that's the, the perfect thing that he should embrace, accept, and be better at. Less is more. You got your forward group. There's enough talent there to generate offense. Focus on being better, uh, playing better positionally, defensively. Play with a little bit more jam, and just just focus on make. Like you, you saw the two plays he made in back to back games on just making a good pass. Yeah, you know the one off of the end boards that Mar- that uh, Mar- Mitch Marler puts in on the breakaway, and then sending in My- uh, Michael Bunting on a breakaway against Buffalo. Yeah, like it's all about the first pass, and and I think if he can just. And I get it. He's not having a great season offensively scoring-wise. He's got, what, two goals on the season? Yeah. That probably, you know, is in his mind saying, I need to do more, I need to do more. But doing more exposes him more. So yeah. I'm a, I agree with you. I think Morgan Rowley has to, has to, has to play better because if he plays better, everybody else follows. And sometimes doing less is more. And you'd have to think any defenseman they bring in, it's probably going to be salary in, salary out. So I guess we'll we'll wait and see how this whole thing plays out. But I want to get your 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 thoughts on you know this whole trading in the NHL because I you know I made a comment on it yesterday because I still can't believe Jacob Chickering is not traded. Yeah. yet. it's been almost two years. This guy's been traded and the price hasn't changed. It's like hey, you want a guy like this? It's going to be two first round picks or a first round pick and a highly coveted prospect that equals a first round pick, like Andy Strickland uh, mentioned yesterday. And and my thought process behind this is, you look at leagues like the NFL and you look at leagues like the NBA when they covet a player, they don't really care. They they don't focus on what the cost is draft pick wise because they're getting a player that is coveted at an age that is coveted. Mm-hmm. With a salary that is below market value, I don't like. What's the holdup here in acquiring Jacob Chikrin? The, the the NHL uh, gives you seven draft picks every year. Okay, yep. the NBA gives you two, and they trade draft picks like they don't even exist if they get the player that they want. In the NHL, it's like, oh, that's way too much. I can't do that. But you're getting a player that fits everything you're looking for. I don't get it. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with you. And there's 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 a big problem in this league with you know the inflexibility around the salary cap and the inability to make moves easily. And I agree with you. I think some of it is also just these guys, these guys who run the teams, the managers, as they like to call themselves, not the general managers, the managers. They generally manage conservatively, right? They're very conservative guys, and so there is that. There's not a lot of guys that are kind of big swingers. There's not a lot of guys that that are not afraid. A lot of them are afraid to lose their job. But with Chickrens. Uh, Carlo, I think the the one thing you hear is just the uncertainty around his health. It's a guy uh-huh. who's never been able to stay healthy. I mean, I think the most he's ever played in a season is 68 games in his first year, and it's been lower and lower than that almost Well, the Maple Leafs knew that about Matt Murray, and they still acquired him. Well, and that, you scratch your head on that one. But, <laughs> you know hey, but, he, Sioux, but he played right. in the Sioux, so he must be good, right? So, um no, I don't. I think that's the problem with Chickering. I mean, I've I've watched this kid since he was you know playing in the GTHL uh, way back when, and and no one doubts his talent. No one doubts his his competitiveness. No one doubts that he could help an NHL team in a big way right now. Uh, but I do think people doubt his durability, and I think that ultimately, if, if you're worried about one thing, Carlo, and you and you've dealt with this your whole career too, like. GMs are just scared that if if you acquire the guy and he's in the press box for half a season every year, it, yeah. it's, it's going to kill him. Dave, always a treat to have you on. Your suggestion of Craig Anderson over Ilya Samsonov has blown up our text line, <laughs> 10 50, 50. Uh, I love it. That's why you're one of the best in the business. We appreciate your time as always, my friend. Appreciate it, fellas. Have a great day. You too. Dave Festchuk from... 
the Toronto Star. Braden Shen in our number four of the St. Louis Blues. We'll get his reflections on playing with Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Chari and the difficulties of playing on a team that look to be trading away significant assets ahead of the deadline. Hour four next. Time now for TSN 1050 Time Saver Traffic. We had Niagara-bound QEW problems clear in Burlington at Walker's Line. Two right lanes have been blocked. We had saw major delays from Burlough, though, all the way to the junction. Here in the city, we had problems clear on the westbound 401 Express ramp to the northbound 404. There was a saw in the left lane. Then we also had northbound collector problems after the 401 clear as well. Meanwhile, in-town problems now on Avenue Road south of Glencairn. We have a vehicle fire there. And southbound on the 427 at the 407, we have a stalled vehicle showing up at the right lane. Take on life in greater luxury with the 2020. 23 Infinity QX60. Visit your local retailer or infinity.ca today. From the News Talk 1010 Traffic Center, I'm Jody Thornton. Overdrive, weekday afternoons 4 to 7 on TSN 1050.